The Church Media Podcast, episode 116, How to Stop Being a One-Man Show with Justin Firesheets, part two. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world. Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design, leadership, digital communications, and more. The show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now at the Church Media Podcast. Podcast.com. And now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, Church Media Coach Carl Barnhill. This is the Church Media Podcast. I'm Carl Barnhill, your guide on the journey. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this week. This is the podcast where we help those who make Sunday happen. We help you transform the worship experiences at your church and help you build solid media production teams. On this week's show, we're going to dive right into part two of my interview with Justin Firesheets from Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. We chatted about how tech guys can be more intentional about the ministry side of their position and more. Part two of my discussion with Justin is after this. And now, your church media resource of the week. Software, websites, gadgets, and tools that will resource your creativity and your ministry. Hey, my name is David Leuschner with Digital Great Commission Ministries, and this is your Church Media Resource of the Week. Are you an audio geek? I know I am. My roots started as a sound guy, and as an audio geek, you know things break all the time. That's why you need the Q-Box. The Q-Box is an all-in-one audio line tester. It's ideal for applications such as live sound, maintenance, installation work, and more. Yep. This box can test any audio that runs down a cable. The Q-Box includes a built-in microphone, a speaker, a test tone generator, outputs for standard headphones, and a quarter-inch jack for your line-in sources. It has lights on pin 2 and pin 3 so you can see which has voltage, a pad switch which allows you to test mic to line level. It also has a handy clip which attaches the Q-Box to your belt or equipment rack. Whether you need to hear signal on a line or put signal down a line, this unit is the ideal test. Hey, are you dealing with AES? They offer an AES version as well. If you deal with consoles, XLR audio, quarter inch audio, in-ears, or anything that moves audio, you need a Q-Box. Find out more at whirlwindusa.com. My name is David Leuschner, and I love consulting and helping churches build solid tech teams while understanding how technology can fulfill the Digital Great Commission. I have a ton of insights that hopefully can help your church. To get in touch with me, go to audiovideolighting.com. That's audiovideolighting.com. I can't wait to talk to you. To subscribe to the show, access archive episodes, and get tons of free resources for your production team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com today. This is an exclusive interview from the Ministry of 1230 Media. Here is church media coach Carl Barnhill. And you touched on this a little bit, but many of us in, in church media world especially feel real confident about the technical aspects. And we struggle some with the ministry side, which is some of the, of what you've been talking about. So uh, how do we start overcoming? Uh, you know, it's fearful for some of us to go, 
Uh, I'm not a talker. I'm kind of a behind-the-scenes yeah. guy. Um, how do I – yeah, you're telling me I need to be a pastor first, but that's not in my nature. How do I do ministry when I'm not, um, you know, really wired for people interaction? <laughs> you know what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think I think you're right in that a lot of people struggle with that, and I I think um, I think some of it is the fact that we may have an incorrect perception of what that leadership role should look like. Um, you don't you don't have to have years of Bible school knowledge to be a ministry leader. You don't have to be able to speak from the stage and give a sermon to be a ministry leader. You don't have to be outgoing and bubbly and effervescent to be a ministry leader. So I read, I read a lot of John Maxwell. Um, I've read a lot of his books. And he very clearly mandates a lot that leadership is influence. Like at its base level, a leader is somebody that influences people. It doesn't mean you're on the stage, but I'm influencing you. Well, I can't influence you until I'm in relationship with you. And I can't be in a healthy relationship with you unless we have a level of trust that exists and says that we're in this for each other's betterment. I'm not trying to manipulate you or harm you. But somebody's not going to trust me unless I'm able to clearly communicate, you know, how I feel and I'm willing to listen to how you feel and we're not assuming, you know, intent or attitude, but we're able to dialogue about our thoughts and our feelings and be vulnerable with each other. But we can't effectively communicate until we've learned how to be selfless. So if you boil leadership all the way down, and so I took John Maxwell's, you know, one step to influence, and I, you know, I'm, so I added, you know, five more layers of this. I think if you boil it down to its most essential root form, leadership is selflessness. And, and it's all through the Bible, like servant leadership. And so if I want to be a leader, all I got to do first is start thinking about other people. Like, what do they need that I have? Can I give them a smile or a word of encouragement? Can I go to lunch with them? Can I ask them how their day was? Can I ask them if there's anything that I can do for them? Um, can I put my, myself in their shoes and imagine what their life is like right now with all the things they're getting pulled around? And knowing that, can I then modify my approach and, and lead them or treat them differently? So the root of everything is I got to think I got to be selfless first. And I think once we're able to understand that that in order to be an effective leader I don't I don't I don't, I don't have to go to Bible school. I don't have to be able to speak from the stage. I don't have to be the funny guy in a group of 20. All I need to be able to do is have a one-on-one conversation with somebody else and just listen and ask questions and learn about what they're passionate about and what's bothering them in their life. And do you have anything that I could pray for you for? Like you start whittling it down to some of those really simple ideas. I think it's a lot easier to swallow the concept of leadership when you just start breaking it down to some of those more simple thoughts. Because I think anybody 
can have a conversation with somebody else and just say, how's your week going? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Yeah. You know, and over time, once I've been able to demonstrate to this other person, hey, he cares about me as a person. That's really cool. They're going to start opening up more and more over time, which means it's now going to be easier for me to influence their path and their behavior and really build a strong relationship. And so naturally, they're then going to see me as a leader, or they're, they're going to be willing to follow me because they know that I have taken an intentional investment in their life. Like, people follow the leader before they follow the vision. And so if people buy into me as somebody that legitimately cares about their concerns and their feelings and what's bothering them and what they love, if they believe that I really am interested in that part about them, they'll follow me wherever I need them to go. Exactly right. Exactly You know, because they need that personal connection there. Yeah, that's so true, man. Um, Okay, so I I don't usually do this in an interview, but I, I came across a section in a blog article that you wrote that I'm just going to read back to you because I thought it was so, so good, and I just want you to comment on it. So indulge me for a second. Okay. Sure. Uh, as the leader of the production team, I have a need. So this is what you, you've you said um, to uh, that some church media leaders feel. Okay. So as the leader of a production team, I have a need. That need is a task that has to be done or a role that must be filled. You as a volunteer, you're simply a cog in the wheel of my larger machine, and I need you to sit there and do what I tell you to, how you, how I tell you to do it, until I tell you that that task is done at my approved level of quality. Granted, that's probably not how we say it, but that can become the essence of the tech team's volunteer ministry at many churches. We plug people into roles based on which ones are most desperate to feel, we're most desperate to feel, and because our standards are, are usually so high, we offer very thorough pictures of exactly how to do a particular job. All that focus becomes on me, my needs, my desires, my fear of failure. Man, I thought that was so cool because, yeah, we don't say that point blank that way, but that is exactly what we're communicating. That Here, just go here, do this, follow these three steps, turn that knob this way, and uh, good luck, I'll be back. You do it. Yeah. Make sure it gets done. I'll be back in a minute. Um, yeah, man, that was good. Just give, give me your insight there and, and your heart behind writing that. Yeah. So kind of the, kind of the idea with that is I was really talking, I, I, I really trying to emphasize the fact that I, I think a lot of times we have an unhealthy perspective of what volunteerism or volunteer ministry needs to be or should be. And I think we look at it from the wrong perspective. It's like, I carry the weight of having to get a task done on Sundays. My job, whether I'm a volunteer at my church as a leader or whether I'm on staff, my job is to make this service run effectively and make stuff look good and sound good. So I am already, I'm going into this experience carrying the weight of that level of expectation. So I think my natural tendency is, okay, good. I've got five people here who are able to sit at a station and do what I tell them to, and I need them to do what I tell them to because I can't afford for this to get screwed up because if something goes wrong, I'm going to get called into a meeting where Mm -hmm. they want to know what the problem was and why things went south. Mm -hmm. And so because I need to protect myself in a way, 
because I don't want to deal with this concept of failure or letting people down, I'm probably going to hold on a whole lot tighter to how things work. I'm, there's going to be a lot more sense of control. There's probably not going to be a lot of flexibility to branch out and try new things. I need this stuff to happen a certain way because if it doesn't, I don't want to deal with what the potential consequences might be. So we've got like a potential unhealthy scenario here. Maybe it's an unhealthy church culture that is influencing how I'm leading my team. And so now I just see people as a cog in the wheel. Like you are here to do something that I tell you to, and then I'll send you a planning center request, and then you can come back in three weeks and do the same thing. What I think we need to do is is change our perspective on what what our job is from a leadership standpoint to begin with. And some of this is what I was alluding to earlier. Everybody has a, a gift that God gave them before they were born. There is no gift of audio engineer. There is no gift of camera operator. There is no gift of song lyrics. People are interested in those things. They have hobbies. They might really enjoy them. They might even have a natural tendency towards doing it well. But that's not a gift because hobbies change with seasons. When, I'm a kid, when I was a kid, my hobby was collecting baseball cards. And then it was reading books. And then it was, you know, fantasy baseball. And, it, like, hobbies change with seasons. A gifting is an essential part of who you are. You were designed around that specific thing, and your purpose never changes. The package that it's in may change because I get older. You know, my hair might start falling out. I'm going to look different. But my purpose is, ne- it is, is never rescinded. The, the purpose stays with me until I die. Well, the problem is if I just see my volunteers as cogs in a wheel, they are only going to be part of my wheel until they decide that they are bored with this, with this hobby or they've lost interest or it's not fun anymore. Then they're going to move on because there, there is no level of fulfillment at all. If it's not a healthy or fun environment, they're going to lose interest and they're going to, they're going to dust in the wind, baby. Cue up Kansas. They are gone. Um, which is why it's so critical that I see them as people with a gift instead of people with a hobby or an interest. And so it's my job to find out what exactly is your gifting? What makes you tick? And when I know the gifting that you have and the purpose that drives you and the thing that you get really excited about and passionate about, my job is to help you find a seat on the bus that fits that. It's not, it's not your job to come fill my need. It's my job as a spiritual leader to determine what your need is for purpose or fulfillment or contentment and then help you find where the best seat on the bus is to discover that. And so, but if people are always going to be a cog in the wheel to me, then I'm just looking for what I can get out of them. It's a a manipulative relationship. It's one-sided. I'm only interested in what they can do for me. But remember, if I whittle leadership down to the seventh layer of the ladder, it is at its root selfless, which means I have to look into the relationship not as what can I get out of it, but what, I, what can I give up to set you up for success? What can I do for you? How can I put you in the best possible position to succeed? So I don't want you serving in an area where we have a need. I want you serving in an area where you're passionate about. 
that's great. If I got a hundred pro presenter people, you know what? If they're all passionate about it, that's fine. I'd rather you be passionate about it than serving in an area where you feel like you're doing it just as a favor to me. Mm-hmm. Because when you're passionate about it, you're going to be more invested in learning more about it, and you're going to have more initiative to get better. And you're going to be driven to improve because you like how you feel when you do it well. And so it's going to create this passion cycle of I've got, I've got a passion. I see what I can do with that passion. I'm going to drive myself to learn more about it. I'm going to execute it at a high level. Ooh, that was a really fun feeling. Let me do that again. And so I've created this cycle where people want to keep coming back over and over again because they leave with a sense of fulfillment and purpose when they're done. Not only do they feel like they're doing something they enjoy, but I have to make sure that they know the difference that they're making. I have to share the win with them because you came today and sat in that seat. We baptized these many people, and there were visitors, and people got saved today, and single moms could drop their kids in the nursery today, and we did this outreach thing, and we're sending a video to the local prisons and blah, 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 and all that stuff happened because you came and sat in that seat today. Well, if all I think about is you're just a cog in a wheel, I'm not thinking about you know, sharing the wins and connecting you with the ultimate you know, purpose of what you did today. I'm just thinking about, man, I really hope you come back in three weeks because I'm going to need you again. All these other people are on vacation. I hope you can show up. But my job is to help find you, help you find the thing that makes you tick. And for some people, that's not even a technical thing on the technical team. This ties back into what we were talking about with, like, finding other people that are good at things that I'm not. Somebody may have a gift of hospitality, well, I'd, I'm horrible at that, but I know in order to have a healthy team and build a sense of community and camaraderie, we need to do stuff together outside of Sunday services. I'm horrible at planning that kind of stuff, but you've got a gift of hospitality? Great. Open up your home for us once a month so we can bring people over there and grill out burgers and hang out together as a team. Mm-hmm. You're just as critical of a part of our team Absolutely. as somebody else that has a gift in a different area because you're using your gift to strengthen the body. Like you can strengthen the body in non-technical ways. You can have a gift of intercession and pray for the prayer needs of our team during the week. And that's just as critical as the guy that sits there running pro presenter because he's only able to come and do that because he knows that there are people that love him and care about him enough to pray for him when he's going through that situation in his personal life. There are all kinds of ways to plug people in to offset our own leadership deficiencies or the gifts that we don't have. But if I only see people as a means to an end, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna look for those other opportunities. Right, and you can make positions on your team, non techie positions and things like that, to give those people opportunities. Um, One thing, one thing that you said too um, is this fear of. I'm going to be if, – if something goes wrong in the service, I'm going to be called into a meeting. I'm going to get fussed at. And and I've been there, honestly. I have been uh, in church settings where I'm the one that gets yelled at. So, um, so – and, yes, it does happen in ministry. So let's talk about it. So I, I think that one trick that I use that worked is to go to my leadership and say, hey, I can guarantee about a 70 to 80% accuracy rate using volunteers. So do we want to go that route or do we want to have 
um, a like one team that is the all-star team that I use every single Sunday? Would you rather me go that route, or would you rather me build teams, develop people, develop volunteers, and land at about a 70 to 80% accuracy rate? And let them choose, and of course they're going to choose volunteers. And so then I go, okay, well, if something happens, if a mess-up happens, we're gonna, that's going to be the 20% that we live in. Um, so that's kind of a trick that I've used. Do you have anything like conversational pieces with your leadership that you've used before? Um, not necessarily along those lines, but, you know, we do have a clear kind of uh, a level of expectation for that when it does come to volunteers. Because, like, there, there's – and none of this is to be disparaging at all, but if if you're not doing this full-time, you've got a lot of other things you've got to juggle in your life. I mean, you've got a regular job. you got, you know, family and mortgage and kids that play t-ball and all that kind of stuff. You've got a lot of things you're doing. So during the week, you're not naturally probably thinking about how do I get better at this thing I'm going to do at church this week, especially if you're only on, like – a rotation of you know every two, three, four weeks that you get into this chair and you got to relearn stuff from muscle memory, whatever else. So I get it. it, it there, there's a different level of expectation that should come uh, with people being on staff versus being volunteer. I don't think it's fair to hold a volunteer to as high of a standard just because they don't have the time to invest in developing that craft. Now, I do think that a majority of the issues that we would face during a service can be overcome, one, with a healthy training process, if we're able to effectively train people. Secondly, effective in-service communication. Um, so typically you're going to see a service breakdown because either somebody wasn't properly trained to do what we're asking them to do, or we didn't effectively communicate either before the service what the expectation was or during the service we didn't tell people how clearly tell people how the transition was supposed to work what they're going to do how they're supposed to respond to this issue what's coming up next oh here's a last minute change blah 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 so i feel that 90% of your issues during a service are going to get eliminated through healthy training and yes. effective communication yeah totally the rest is probably just going to be fluky stuff it just happens or it's technology failure that we couldn't really do anything about you know yeah. um, um, but I think in a healthy in a, in a healthy organization that embraces volunteer uh, culture, there you have to have an understanding that it's not going to be perfect. Um, but there's a difference between mistakes that we notice and mistakes that the audience notices. Yes. We should we're always going to be our own worst critics, so we're going to notice things that the audience will never notice. Oh man, I missed that transition by half a second. Oh man, that that light didn't do exactly what I needed it to do at the perfect time. Well, were the people in the room, were they going to notice that? Probably not. And so the goal should be to eliminate the audience-noticed distractions, not the things that we notice and we beat ourselves up on behind the scenes. Um, I do think if there's a conversation to be had from a leadership standpoint, I would say the number one conversation to have with our church leadership should be don't make your presence known when there are mistakes. You need to make your presence known when things are going great. That's good. That's because good it, get, it gets old when you're the team that's used to serving in the shadows at the back of the room. You're expected to be perfect all the time, which honestly is the expectation for most tech teams. And people only know you exist or they only talk to you when you screwed something up. That's kind of demoralizing. But if there's, if there's an environment where the leadership there 
is willing to engage with people or when things are going great, pat them on the back and say, hey, you guys are doing a great job today. This is all. Thank you so much for coming in early to do all this. Or giving them a shout out from the stage, say, hey, service was such a, it was awesome today. Hey, we couldn't have done it without our tech team. Let's hear it for our tech team that was here early and doing all these services. They did such a great job today. They're here every week. You know, instead of doing the shout out from the stage, hey guys, how about we go back to the, oh man, we missed that point. Can we try to put that back? Oh yeah, I can tell they're having technical problems today again. You know, like sometimes we use it as the mm-hmm. butt of a joke, which can be kind of demoralizing. Yep, it's terrible. Um, that really sucks the life out of the balloon. It really you know, does. For the team that's, that's putting all their energy into doing in this so that other people are able to succeed you know so if we're going to have a conversation with our leaders at the church let's say hey let's give positive reinforcement on a consistent basis instead of only reverting to to negative reinforcement and trying to fix a problem that popped up i think you just jumped on like five or ten of the soapboxes that I have right there. So, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, definitely with the leadership, man. Don't don't throw your tech team under the bus just because you have the microphone. Um, So, yeah, I try to talk to leaders and speakers before uh, service just to say, especially if I'm uh, coaching or directing in a new church, I travel around and, and do that for churches. I try to talk to that speaker and say, hey, look, don't do this from the state. Don't call them out. Uh, on the stage. If it's not up there, just plow on through. And uh, trust me, we're trying to get there or it'll be there for the next service or something like that. But don't call the tech team out and embarrass them in front of everybody. That's just not cool. Um, So yeah, man, uh, you just fire hydrant, man. That was so much information and and, uh, just so good. I really appreciate your time and, and just for sharing with us today, man. No problem, man. Loved it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate the you know, having the chance to share a little bit. So as we, uh, as we say goodbye, tell us how we can uh, keep up with you. How can we follow you? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not, uh, the world's biggest social media guy. I don't do a lot, but I, you know, I'm on Twitter, uh, the letter J fire sheets. So you can give me a shout or a follow on there. Um, I, I am involved, uh, outside of Highlands with a lot of, um, other opportunities to help encourage and educate church tech leaders across the country. Um, I'm part of an organization called Church Technical Leaders. They've got a website, churchtechleaders.org. You can follow them on Twitter at uh, Church Tech Lead. Uh, but we do several events over the course of the year that are designed to help um, equip and train and encourage tech leaders from the ministry and leadership side. Uh, I think we all know where to go to get technical training, uh, but sometimes you need a little bit of word of encouragement when it comes to, you know, how to work in a, a challenging environment, or, or I need tips for leading a volunteer team better, or I need guidance on how to have better boundaries in my personal time, or keep my Sabbath healthy, or stay spiritually healthy. Uh, and so we do events all across the country every year called Lead Labs. Uh, we've got several more coming over the remainder of 2017, um, and we'll have a full schedule of nine or ten more events coming in 2018. Um, we're very heavily involved with the WFX conference that happens every fall, a big um, you know, church tech event. This year it will be in Dallas and in, Octo- in October, um, and we'll have uh, a big tie-in with that. Um, we also teach classes along with Infocom every year. If folks are familiar with the Infocom conference, um, so we did classes this just a few weeks ago in Orlando, and we hope to do the same thing next year in Los 
Las Vegas. And so that's been exciting, having some classes dedicated just to the house of worship market. Um, and so we, we post all that on social media so you can follow us on Twitter and stay updated with all those things, or you can visit that Church Tech Leaders website. Though that's a big passion of mine, something I love being part of. So this is such a heart for me getting to, to help uh, other people in ministry. Um, trying to maybe learn from the mistakes I've made um, so that so that other people don't have to walk down uh, that path the way I did. So, Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you again so much for your time and just for sharing all this insight today. Really appreciate it, buddy. No problem, Carl. Thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. This has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media. For more interviews, training, and exclusive content for your production team, visit 1230.media slash training. For over a hundred and fifty years, one convincing lie has prevented billions from knowing the truth. The truth about who they are. The truth about why they're here. And most important, the truth about who created them. Really, we only have two possibilities. We just happened, or somebody made us. On November 13th. I was really taught that there was a big bang. There was millions of years. Man slowly evolved. Evolution has a lot of unintended consequences that I'm not sure everyone's thought about. You have no meaning. There's no reason for you to exist. When you start buying into evolution, you've opened a door to say you don't have to trust the Bible completely. Evolution in millions of years is the greatest myth ever forced on the minds of men. It's not science versus religion. It's a worldview clash. Explore the evidence. Experience the creation. Discover the truth. The truth will set you free. Genesis Paradise Lost. Tickets are available for this special event at genesismovie.com. There is more to explore in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. You can download more material, a transcript, and get more content for your team at thechurchmediapodcast.com. And forward slash 116 will get you to this episode directly. That's the Church Media Podcast. Dot com forward slash 116 on the next church media podcast next week on the show i welcome sly king from the worship center in birmingham sly is the marketing and social media consultant and online campus coordinator for the church he leads a volunteer team that sole job is to create and maintain an amazing online worship experience sly is going to share all about how they create their online campus be here next week for that. 
Visit our composer and producer of the show online at davidmichaelhyde.com. He gets lonely and needs some visitors to his site. Be his friend, why don't you? And it's a privilege hanging out with you guys every week. Go out there and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. We'll catch you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast. 